Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to what is going to be likely a humid and hot day. And that has nothing to do with the temperatures outside. It has to deal with the great sports talk we're going to be firing your way this morning on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. <laughs> I know it's going to be hot outside. Seriously. It's going to be it's going to be it's going to be sweltering. Good morning. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the studio by someone who says, I don't care if it's going to feel like it's 107 degrees outside. I'm rocking a sweatshirt today. Producer extraordinaire, boot scoot and boogie extraordinaire as well. Miss Hannah Five Names. Of course, we have a great show lined up for you today. Three guests. We're going to talk all things Houston Astros with Eric Hussman of the Locked on Astros podcast. They got locked ons everywhere. This guy is holding it down for the Strohs. Yet another series opening loss to a team that is struggling. Strohs are struggling themselves right now. Gave up three runs in the eighth inning in last night's game as they open up the series in Arlington against the Texas Rangers with an L. Eric will break it down for us, give us his thoughts on the struggles of Garcia and Urquidy and the rotation. What about Yuli Gurriel and Alex Bregman as well in the lineup? That'll be at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, the latest in recruiting news from our guy Jarrett Rozier. Raging Cajuns picked up a big-time commit over the weekend. In-state commit at that. We'll break that down, and then the latest news involving Acadiana recruits as well. That'll be coming up at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, our bud, fresh off of vacation, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will be joining us, give his thoughts on the NBA Finals and the Pelicans as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft. But let's start with those NBA Finals. If you're the Boston Celtics, and you have an opportunity to go up three games to two in a best-of-seven series for the NBA championship and the world championship, the Larry O'Brien trophy. And Steph Curry has an off night. And when I say off night, a legendary off night by Curry standards. He's been phenomenal so far in this NBA Finals, but last night he was not very good. He only had 16 points. He shot 7 of 22 from the field, and his three-pointer streak comes to an end as he goes 0 for 9 from beyond the arc. So Steph Curry, who's been the best player for Golden State in this championship series, Goes 0 for 9 from beyond the arc and struggles mightily 7 of 22 from the field. Draymond Green 
and Otto Porter Jr., they gave you a combined 10 points. So three of the five starters for the Golden State Warriors do not have a good game. They combine for 26 points. And they combine going 0 for 13 from three-point range. And yet, somehow, you still lose by 10 points. This is the type of loss that is completely deflating for Boston. Because they lose 104 to 94 last night. Game five of the NBA Finals in San Francisco. And Steph Curry, 0 for 9 from 3, 7 to 22 from the field, only scores 16 points. Draymond Green and Porter Jr. combined for 10 points, and they go 0 for 4 from three point range. That's your opportunity. You're Boston. You're on the road. Steph has an awful night. And you don't take advantage. You don't take advantage of the opportunity in front of you. This is going to be the one that's going to come back and they're going to be like, oh man, I can't believe it. The reason why Golden State was still able to win Clay Thompson chipped in 21 points, 5-11 from three-point range. But Andrew Wiggins got himself a double-double last night. 26 points, 13 rebounds. 12 of those were on the defensive side of things. 12 defensive boards. Now, He struggled from beyond the arc, 0 of 6. But he shot 12 of 23 overall. Played 43 minutes. Had the game of his career. On the biggest stage, when his team needed him the most, he stepped up and gave him a double-double. Best performance as a pro by Andrew Wiggins. And that's by a country mile. Now, Golden State also got some contributions off the bench. Gary Payton, the second. Gave him 15 points in 26 minutes. Poole gave him 14 points in 14 minutes. So you get two guys to come off your bench to give you double-digit scores, which is key. That's huge. You get a shot in the arm that way. And then one of your guys, one of your starters, who's kind of, let's be honest, the fourth banana, if you will, steps up and has a career night, gets you a double-double. Golden State's depth last night, stepped up. Poole, Payton, combined for 29 points. Wiggins gets a double-double, 26 and 13. And Boston just has to hate themselves this morning. Because this was a game to steal. It was right there on a silver platter. It was right there for them to take. Jason Tatum finally had what I would call an all-star caliber game for Boston. 27 points. He shot 10 of 20 from the field, which isn't great, but better than what he has been doing. And he was 5 of 9 from three-point range. He also had 10 rebounds, all of them defensive boards. So Tatum had himself a good night, a very good night. 
But Horford gave him nothing, nine points. Robert Williams III gave him 10 points. Marcus Spart had 20. But I told you who the X factor could be in this series. Particularly for Boston, that was Jalen Brown. He only had 18 points. Shot 0 for 5 from three-point range. And more importantly than Brown having an off night, because you could argue Tatum picked up the slack, Boston's bench combined, combined to score a total of 10 points. That's it. They played eight players off the bench. And eight guys combined to score 10 points. I I don't care who you are. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how great your starting five may be. I don't care if you have a great three-headed monster. Whatever it might be. You're not going to win an NBA Finals game that way. So Boston's bench... Not a factor. Jalen Brown had an off night. And Boston unable to take advantage of Steph Curry's one of the worst nights we've ever seen him play in the NBA Finals. And Golden State set the tone from jump, right? Raced out to that 10-point, 9-point lead after the first quarter. Credit Boston for battling back, making it a game by halftime. And then Boston had a a tremendous third quarter, and you're watching the game and you're going, there it is. There you go. They got this now. They've completely turned around this ballgame. After struggling in the first quarter and at halftime being down by 12, they flip it around, outscore Golden State 35-24 to in the third, and it's a ball game. Anybody's game, and you go, okay, Boston's made their adjustments out of the break. Here we go. And then it was all Golden State in the fourth quarter, especially late. 29-20 advantage in the fourth quarter as they win 104-94. to And now, here's the problem if you're Boston. And it's not impossible for them to still win this series in in seven games. That means they're going to have to win back-to-back games. Obviously. But the bigger thing is this. Do I expect a bounce-back game from Boston, from Tatum, from Jalen Brown, from the Celtics bench when they go back to Boston for game six? Absolutely. Here's the problem. Golden State is now going to feel overly confident they're going to walk into Boston going didn't we just win here yeah we did that's one two we be we were able to beat this team with Steph having the worst night in his NBA finals career you think he's going to play that way back-to-back games all the confidence and that veteran experience now plays a role in this series because now Boston's back is against the wall. They let a game slip through their hands. They were they failed to take advantage of a golden opportunity presented to them to be in the driver's seat for the NBA Finals. And they're probably going to play a little tight. 
Now, could Boston win game six? Absolutely. But now Golden State has two games to win one. And their best player, their leader, the greatest three-point shooter in modern NBA history, some would argue of all time, you think he's going 0 for 9 again in another game? Nope. Not going to happen. So now things just got a little bit more difficult, if you will, for Boston. Be interesting to see what happens in game six. Back in Boston, you know the crowd is going to be crazy. And once again, if they can force a game seven, that would be back in Golden State. But game six will be Thursday night. Warriors at Celtics. Warriors will be looking to close out and win their fourth NBA championship since 2015, and they'll be looking to do so on the road in Boston. we got to take a timeout. Great start to today's show. But we got plenty to get to. Can't be just dwelling on the NBA Finals all morning. Can't do that. Got to keep it moving. What about those Houston Astros? Another rough night against inferior competition. We'll recap it for you coming up next. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Today's going to be the day that you're going to sign up for the game clubhouse. You know why? Because once you become a member, which, by the way, it's free to do, it's simple to do, and you can just go do it by visiting our website at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And once you become a member, you're going to have the opportunity to win free stuff, great stuff, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou, mouth-watering steaks, cooked Exactly how you want them. I love mine, medium rare. Boom, they will make it for you. Great sides. Tremendous desserts. You want to go hang out with the fellas. There's a cigar room. You can have some adult beverages and have a great time. But you can only score that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. It's free to do so. It's simple. Visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and sign up for the Game Clubhouse today so you can have the opportunity to score 
that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. Speaking of teams that scored, how about the Texas Rangers? That's exactly what they did late in last night's ballgame. 5-3 win over the Houston Astros. They played a run in the bottom of the seventh and then three more in the eighth as the Astros' bullpen wets themselves in the 5-3 defeat. You actually got a good start out of Christian Javier. He goes full six innings, five hits, only two runs, struck out seven. Good performance from him. Stanek comes in, and he's a little iffy. Doesn't give up a run, but does give up two hits and an innings of work, but struck out two. That's what you're going to get with Stanek, right? But then comes Neris, and oh my goodness, what a train wreck that was. The man only lasts a third of an inning, three hits, three runs, all earned, also walked a batter. That gets a good old-fashioned woof. Woof, woof, woof. Gives up the single to Duran in shallow center. That scores. Miller singles to left center. Duran scores. Oh, man. Awful. Awful performance by the Astros' bullpen. Wasted a good, solid start. And the Astros started off strong, right? Alvarez is on a tear. I know the MVP is more than likely going to go to Aaron Judge of the Yankees, but Alvarez needs to be in the discussion because he has been an absolute monster to start the season. He brings in Altuve in a single in the first. Pena scores on a single in the second. Brantley brings in a run as well in the second. And the Strohs are up and running, up three to nothing. That's all the run support Javier needs as they just roll right through until they don't run right through. And the Astros bullpen wets itself, and they drop another game to a sub-500 ball club. And you look at the lineup. Breggs and Yuli Gurriel, who both had a couple of games where they got on base multiple times. That was again in the series against the Marlins over the weekend. They combined to go, wait for it, 0 for 7. 0 for 7. Breggs did draw a walk. He's batting 222. Yuli's batting 217. Got to figure those guys out. Still time. Still plenty of time to be able to do that. I have more confidence in Yuli turning it around than I do Breggs. Because we saw Yuli win the batting title a year ago. Now, Yuli is older. Right? Father time catches up with all of us. Eventually, you're going to see his production at the plate diminish. But I think you can see him bounce back and bat around 275. Is he going to win the batting title this year? No. But I think he can get back to batting around 275. And he's an old school veteran guy. Bregman is the one where I go, it's just curious. Now, all hitters 
go through slumps. But the Alex Bregman we saw help win a World Series title for the Astros. The Alex Bregman we saw finish as, what, MVP runner-up a few years ago? We didn't see last year because he was banged up. And then this year we haven't seen. He's off. The swing is off. And is he banged up still? Is he still not quite right from an injury-plagued season in 2021? Because he is not batted. He He's not hit. He, his on-base percentage is only 339. He's slugging 377. That's some of the worst on the team. I mean, look, he's not Martin Maldonado, who, by the way, had a great defensive play in last night's game, if you didn't get to watch it. The man called candy by Kevin Foote. We know he does not hit. But I look at it, and Kyle Tucker, 260. Pena, 277. Alvarez, 315. You know, Brantley, 290. Altuve, 279. And then there's way down there, Bregman, 222, Yuli, 217. That's a big drop-off. We're talking 40, 50 points in a batting average. You don't need, you don't want to see, Bregman doesn't have to be Wade Boggs and bat 325. But this is not to his level. This is not the caliber of player he is. We've seen the type of caliber big leaguer Alex Bregman, former LSU star, is. This isn't it. So is it a simple thing of him struggling to get back to form after an injury-plagued season? Is there something actually going on with his swing? Sometimes this happens with hitters where they'll tweak something and their swing gets a little off. And to be a big league hitter, if you're just a millimeter off in your, you know, bringing your the bat around, just a quarter of a second off, it make all the difference in the world. One of the toughest things to do, not only in sport, but in life, is to hit a baseball. It is a legitimate skill and something the majority of the population on the face of the earth is unable to do. But Bregman, Yuli, you can go, okay, Father Time may be catching up with him. And a lot of Yuli's hits that should have been hits are just hard hit balls that have been caught. So it's just a little off. Bregman's a different thing. And you saw him get on base a couple times over the weekend, and I was like, hey, is this... Can this be kind of a launching pad? Can this be a turning point? I said it yesterday for both Yuli and Alex to turn things around. Unfortunately, it wasn't yesterday as they combined to go 0 for 7 at the plate. And it's not as if Hearn was dealing the Rangers starting pitcher. He only lasted five and a third. He gave up seven hits and three runs. He walked three batters. That cat's got an ERA of 5.37. That's the type of pitcher you can hit. Yuli and Alex didn't. They didn't. 
Still plenty of time. Both of these teams will get back to action tonight. You can listen to that game live from Arlington right here on the game. 7.05 first pitch. Can the Strohs get even with the Rangers and get back to their winning ways and be able to try to win this series on Wednesday when they have to play a day game, a little afternoon baseball action? Once again, Rangers beat the Astros 5-3 to last night. Second game of this early week series on the road in Arlington can be listened to live right here on the game tonight. Once again, first pitch, 7-0-5. Strohs at Rangers. We'll talk more about the Houston Astros coming up at 7-30 when Eric Hussman of the Locked on Astros podcast will join us to break down all things Houston Astros baseball. We got to take a timeout. But when we return... The College World Series is now set. Final two games in the books yesterday for Super Regional play. And guess what? Half the field of the College World Series is SCC. We'll talk all about it next. We'll also take your phone calls. Give us a holler. Hotline's open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. We're going to unveil it here in a few minutes. But let's get to College World Series. It's now been set. The field of eight teams is complete after yesterday's Super Regional action wrapped up. Deciding game threes are in the books. Connecticut jumps out to an early lead on Stanford, but the Huskies unable to to pull off the upset as the Cardinal, once again, Stanford is known as the Cardinal. Singular, not plural, gets confusing, I understand. Also, their mascot is a tree. Not a bird, a tree. I know, it gets confusing. Stanford beats UConn 10-5. The Cardinal headed Omaha. In the late game yesterday, It was Auburn as the 14 seed taking on the three seed Oregon State. Oregon State had staved off elimination by winning on Sunday, forcing a winner-take-all game. And the Tigers, though, 
were too much for the Beavers, beating them 4-3, to three, and they're headed to Omaha. Which means, now that you look at your field for the College World Series, there's one, there's two, hold on, is there three? There sure is. What about it? Four teams from the Southeastern Conference are in the College World Series. Half the field is not only from the SEC, but wait for it. You ready for it? They're all from the same division. LSU fan got a feel not too great. That four other teams from their division are in the College World Series, and they're not. Your first two days worth of games for the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska, are this. These are your matchups. This is how the bracket is. First game right off the bat is going to be Oklahoma, one of the hottest teams in the country. They went through the Big 12 tournament, then went through the regionals and supers. They're going to be taking on Texas A&M, the great turnaround season for the Aggies. Once again, remember, Texas A&M, did not even qualify for the SEC tournament a year ago. Here they are needing only five games to get to Omaha as they just went right through their regional and supers. Oklahoma, Texas A&M, old Big 12, old Southwest Conference matchup will be the first game of the College World Series. That'll be at 1 o'clock on Friday. The nightcap will be a good one. Notre Dame who took down number one overall seed Tennessee to the delight of all other college baseball fans. Once again, I'll say it again in case you missed it yesterday. Tennessee had all the swag, as you like to say. They were braggadocious. They puffed up their chest. They went around the bases flipping off people. They cursed at umps. They talked trash to other teams. And that's great. If you want to be Miami Hurricanes football from the 1980s, I'm all about it. As long as you back it up. And guess what Tennessee didn't do? Yet again. They didn't back it up. So when you run off at the mouth, but you don't win championships, and I'm sorry, conference championships don't matter on this, this level. If you're the number one overall seed, you're trying to win a national championship. And not only do you not win the championship, but you don't even make it there. Tennessee fan, Tennessee volunteer baseball deserves all the shade thrown their way. If you're going to open up your mouth, you're going to act that way, you better back it up. Volunteers did not. And that's why they're at home and they'll be watching the College World Series from the comfort of their recliner. The team that eliminated them, Notre Dame, is going to be taking on Texas. That's going to be at 6 o'clock on Friday night. That's an intriguing game to me. Once again, this Longhorns team is not a vintage Texas baseball team, yet here they are in the College World Series. Notre Dame, a team many felt should have hosted a regional that got left out. So they were the highest-ranked two-seed in the whole thing. They put them in the Statesboro, Georgia regional, which was hosted by Georgia Southern. Notre Dame wins that regional, then beats number one overall seed, Tennessee. Here they are. So make no bones about it. This Notre Dame team is really good. On Saturday, the action continues with the other two games. 
First up will be Arkansas versus Stanford. Razorbacks, remember, they were the top overall seed a year ago. They didn't make it to Omaha. They got upset, and they had some stumbles this year. In particular, they could have probably hosted a regional, but they went 0 for 2 at the SEC tournament in Hoover, and they had to begin their postseason trip on the road. And they did, just like Notre Dame and just like Oklahoma did, Arkansas was a lower seed, won their regional, went on to win their super regional. They did that against North Carolina on Sunday. So the Razorbacks are feeling good about themselves. They're going to be taking on Stanford, who survives UConn. Stanford is your highest national seed remaining in the field for the College World Series. That game will be at 1 o'clock on Saturday. And then the nightcap on Saturday for the first round of games in the College World Series is going to be an all-SEC game. Ole Miss, where it looked like they were going to fire their coach midway through the season. They were the worst team in the SEC, West. They turn it around on the back half of the schedule, including a sweep of LSU in Baton Rouge. But their work was cut out for them as well as they had to do what? Be a lower seed in a regional, which they won. And then they went to Hattiesburg and beat Southern Miss, who beat LSU in the regional and shut out Southern Miss 15 to nothing as they punched their ticket to Omaha. And they'll be taking on Auburn. An Auburn team that had ups and downs this year. But, man, they're playing great baseball of late. I thought they were vulnerable in their own regional, and that proved not to be the case whatsoever. And, look, it is difficult to go to Corvallis, Oregon, and beat Oregon State. That is a perennial college baseball power house. And Auburn was able to go in there and take two of three. So make no bones about it. Auburn has a great chance. This is going to be an absolute slugfest between them and Ole Miss in the fourth game of the opening round of the College World Series, which will once again be this weekend. College World Series field is set. Oklahoma versus Texas A&M, Notre Dame versus Texas, Arkansas versus Stanford, and Ole Miss versus Auburn. Half the field is from the SEC West. (laughs) What? Half the field of the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska, is... The SEC West. Greg Sankey's a happy man. I'm just going to leave it at that. Now, which one of these teams has the best opportunity to win the whole thing? You probably have to lean Texas A&M, but the way Auburn and Ole Miss have played of late which they've been phenomenal. They're hot at the right time. So which SEC team has the best chance of winning the College World Series? That is our poll question of the day here on RP3 and Company. And right now, 40% of you, it's a bit of a dogfight a little bit, 40% of you say Ole Miss. You like how they're playing. 35% of you say Texas A&M. And 20% say Arkansas, only 5% say Auburn. 
JPK the OD says Ole Miss has really put it together of late. It will be two in a row for the state of Mississippi, alluding to Mississippi State winning it last year when they defeated Vanderbilt in the championship round. By the way, that was an all SEC College World Series final. And in case you forgot, only 89 days left till the Dirty Bird barbecue in the dome. JPK the OD has New Orleans Saints football in the brain. I can appreciate that. I respect that. Man loves his Saints. Man loves his Saints. Can't hold that against him. But he does pick Ole Miss. I like Ole Miss too. I, I, it feels like they're a bit on a, use a cliche here, a magical run. Some experts say that they were the last team in. That Ole Miss earned the last at-large berth for an NCAA regional. That they got the last one. And yet here they are at the College World Series. Baseball is that way. You catch fire. You start feeling good about yourself. And then anything can happen. Anything can happen. So go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. As for me, I lean towards Ole Miss. A&M, though, look, A&M was the first team to make it to Omaha. They only needed five games in postseason play to make it to Omaha. There was no pushing them. There was no winner-take-all games for Texas A&M. No, no. They won their regional in three games and then won their super regional in two games, and they were the first team to advance. That's dominant, top-level type of performance. Now, it's one thing to do that at home for a regional and a super another thing when you have to get up to Omaha you don't have the advantage of the home crowd the home stadium it's a neutral site everyone's allowed the same number of tickets that's how it works and we've seen teams before look really good in regionals and supers and once they get to the college world series they're not as good but you gotta like Texas A&M's chances just by the way, they've performed all season long, especially in the last half to three quarters of the season, and how they performed here in the regional and super regional round. Arkansas, meanwhile, they dropped some games late. They looked bad at the SEC tournament, but they have shown a ton of grit during the regional and super regional rounds. The team's got heart. That matters. That matters. Now having to play Stanford right off the bat, not optimal. That lends itself to you having to be forced to go play in the loser's bracket. And Ole Miss taking on Auburn. That's going to be interesting. The, the team that wins that game could win it all. 
honestly. But if I had to look at the bracket, if I had to look at the field and say, okay, I lean towards Ole Miss as the team from the SEC to have the best chance to win, if I had to pick a non-SEC team, as, as great as Oklahoma's run has been, I'm not picking them. I'm not picking Stanford. I'm actually going to go with Notre Dame. When you get slighted and when people thought you deserved to host your own regional, and Notre Dame has great tradition, as we know, down here, Paul Maneri led them to the College World Series before he took the job at LSU. Then you go on the road, you get a bit of a chip on your shoulder. And then you go out there and you win a regional that you're not hosting. And then you take down the braggadocious villains of college baseball in their place on the road. I like what I've seen out of Notre Dame. So if I had to pick one team to make a run to possibly win the national championship that's not out of the SEC, based on what I've seen in the regional round and in the super regionals, Notre Dame tops that list. If I had to pick a team from the SEC to win the College World Series or to make a run, it's a toss-up for me between Ole Miss and Texas A&M, but I think I would lean Ole Miss. College World Series play begins on Friday with a pair of games starting at 1 o'clock and then two more games on Saturday up there in Omaha, Nebraska. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one. Phone lines are open. Love to hear from you. You want to talk NBA Finals, Houston Astros, or the College World Series? Give us a holler. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we close out our number one here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Woo. Good stuff. Good stuff so far today. Lots to get to NBA Finals, Houston Astros, my Atlanta Braves winning yet again. It's 12 straight by the way. Do believe my Bravos have found themselves. But, of course, our second baseman fractures his left foot during a swing. Oh, woof. We have been drilled by the injury bug the last couple years. Last year, we were able to actually win the World Series in spite of it. 
you know, we lost our best player and still won the World Series. I just like to point that out. Ozzy breaks his foot, but Braves beat Nationals for their 12th straight victory. 9-5 victory. Now we're 35-27 in 27 overall. I'm all about it. Keep it going. This team is resilient. Yeah, we lost our second baseman. Our little pint-sized hero. But you know what? We're going to keep it moving. We did it last year. We lost to Kuna last year. We are able to overcome that. Quick look at the Major League Baseball standings. My Atlanta Braves are now 35-27. and 27. They're five games back of the Mets in the NL East. St. Louis Cardinals hold a one-game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers. Cardinals are 35-27, and 27, just like the Braves. Dodgers are now tied with the San Diego Padres atop the National League West, while the Giants are three games behind them. Dodgers are four and six in their last 10. They've lost three straight. It's a lot of money to spend on being slightly above average. In the American League, despite their recent woes, having lost four of, four of six in their last 10, Astros still hold a seven-and-a-half game lead over the Texas Rangers. The Angels are a full eight-and-a-half games back. The Mariners are 10 games back. And poor Oakland is 16-and-a-half games back. Every team in the AL West is below 500 except for the Astros. Not great. Twins hold a three-and-a-half game lead over the Guardians in the Central. And, of course, the Yankees, who right now are playing as the best team in baseball, the Pinstripers are 44 and 16. They held an eight-game lead over the Toronto Blue Jays and a nine-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Golden State Warriors take a three games to two lead in the NBA Finals after last night's 104-94 win in a game where Steph Curry did not make a three-pointer where he had one of the worst performances in his illustrious career in an NBA Finals, where they barely get any contributions from the rest of the starters except for a double-double by Andrew Wiggins. And Boston is unable to take advantage. Now they trail three games to two. And Golden State has two games left to close out this NBA Finals and win their fourth world championship since 2015. Will they be able to close it out Thursday night in Boston or can the Celtics bounce back in a big way? Once again, only 10 points from Boston's bench in last night's game. 
That's not going to get it done. When you have Jalen Brown have an off night and you only get 10 points from your bench, I don't care how good of a player Jason Tatum is. And he finally played up to his potential and played a very good game last night. It doesn't matter. You have to take advantage of the opportunities presented to you. And Boston did not. When Steph Curry has an off night, when he can't, as I used to say, hit water out of a boat, you have to steal that game. You have to steal that game in San Francisco. In Boston, with a fourth quarter that was abysmal for them, was unable to do so. Credit Golden State, they got contributions from Gary Payton Jr. and Poole off the bench. Got them about 20 points combined. And, of course, Andrew Wiggins got him a double-double, the best performance of his NBA career. So, guys stepped up. The depth of Golden State stepped up in a big way when one of their stars, their leader, their best player, had an off night. Boston, on the other hand, their depth did not step up. And the Warriors now hold advantage. Two games left to get another world championship. Can they do it? The Houston Astros, meanwhile, opened up a series on the road in Arlington against the Texas Rangers. Got a good performance from their starter, starting pitcher. Had an early 3-0 lead. And yet, their bullpen let them down yet again. As the Strohs fall to the Texas Rangers, 5-3, to three, gave up one run in the seventh, and then three more there in the eighth to lose the game 5-3. to three. Now, they still hold an eight-and-a-half game lead in the standings over those said Rangers. But Bregman and Guriel combined to go 0 for 7. They're batting around 220 each. Like to see them start getting out of that slump. Look, Jordan Alvarez is a legitimate MVP candidate. He's going to be battling Aaron Judge for that title probably the rest of the season, if both can stay healthy. And. Pena, the rookie, has been phenomenal. Jose Altuve is producing. Michael Brantley Jr. is producing. Tucker is producing. But Breggs and Gurry, Guriel, are struggling. Are struggling. Bregman did draw a walk last night to get on base, but he went 0 for 3 at the plate, while Yuli went 0 for 4. Strohs, Rangers will get after it again tonight. You listen to that game live from Arlington. 7.05 is the first pitch. And you listen to it live right here on the game. You're home for Houston Astros baseball. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Darren to the show. Darren, it's been a minute, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Yeah, how you go- How you doing this morning? I'm doing good, bud. How about yourself? All right, all right. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the NBA right quick. Uh, I see it from the beginning that the Celtics was going to take it in six, and I think Boston has won their two games already. And I wanted to talk about the way Boston won their two games and how how they won it. Uh, 
I knew they was going to win one in Boston, and nobody's talking about the way they stole their first game. I want to put the blame on Steve Kerr. Nobody's want to blame Steve Kerr when it was up in the third quarter and Boston came back and had that 40-point fourth quarter. I think Steve Kerr took his foot off the gas. And they, they thought they had the game in the bag, and Steve Kerr took his starters out, and Boston had that run. Yep. And when he wanted to put his starters back in, it was too late. So I would put that blame on Steve Kerr. Nobody want to blame Steve Kerr. So me, myself, personally, I would blame the coach. And people's blaming players, but I would blame the coach in that situation. So that game one loss is on him. But I think the Warriors have that series in the bag. I think Boston won their two games already. That series is over. You think, you, you think they're going to go back to Boston? You think Warriors are going to close it out in Boston on Thursday? Oh, that series been over. I've been saying the Warriors was going to win that in six. And and here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. D is do you you know good and well Steph Curry's going to be fired up and ready to go on Thursday after going zero for nine from three point range and having yeah. one of the worst performances of his career. He, he's not going to have another game like that. And just like in game one, the Warriors is not going to have a fourth quarter like that again. And there Steph Curry is not going to have another game like he had last game. So you, you, I could guarantee you, game six, you, you might see a 2015 Warriors team in game Ooh. six. Ooh, dare. <laughs> I love it, bud. I love it. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, my friend. Hold, hold on. I got one, one more question for you before I get off. All right, what bud, go ahead. About, what you think about Zion trying to secure the bag? Because that's all I think he's trying to do. I don't really think he want to come back to New Orleans and stay here. I think he's just trying to secure the bag. What you think about that situation? And I'm going to hang up and see what you got to say about that. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Thank you, man. Look, the, the Zion situation is interesting to me. And I think the reason why this is being debated about is because he doesn't communicate with the general public and the media all that much, right? He just doesn't. That's not his thing. And I don't think it's ever going to be his thing. I think Zion developed into stardom at an early age, and I think the way his life was structured on how to deal with said stardom was to keep him at a distance from the media and from the general public. And the Pelicans have abided in this since they drafted him. They just have. This has been their whole philosophy. We're not going to rush you back. We're not going to put you out on the floor. Not going to have access. I mean, it's a weird situation. And and I know sometimes a lot of people view weird with a negative connotation. And it's not meant to be that way. It's just obtuse. Where it's not what we're accustomed to. Right? LeBron James is constantly talking to us in the media and constantly talking to the public. A lot of these guys are all about that. Zion is not. So when we hear reports that Zion hasn't been around the team in four months, you go, uh, what? When we hear CJ McCollum, who gets traded and helps to turn around the team season, and he says in an interview that he hasn't talked to Zion yet, he tried to reach out to him but hadn't heard from back from him, That's there's a lot of bad looks PR-wise with the Pelicans and Zion. I can't sit here this morning and tell you, Darren, that I know that Zion does not want to be in New Orleans. 
because I don't know anything about Zion. That's what it really boils down to. We don't know the motivations. Like when LeBron went to went home to Cleveland, we knew why he went home to Cleveland because he told us why. Just like we he when we when we found out that he was going to Miami, LeBron told us he was going to Miami and why he was going to Miami because he wanted to team up with his friends and basically feel like he was going to college. Plus, he had grown a little disenchanted with the front office of Cleveland. He wins a couple titles, plays in four straight finals, says, I want to come home. Pins a big letter about it, wants to go home. He told us why. He, we know why LeBron's in, uh, in La La Land because he has other aspirations with a production company and with movies and everything else where he's setting himself up post-basketball. We have no clue what motivation Zion Williamson has. None. Zero. We know he's a happy kid. We know his teammates like him. That, that's factual. His teammates like him, even though sometimes they don't know how to get in touch with him. So it feels like to me, just from the outside looking in, I understand, and Darren's been on this, and he and I have communicated off the air about this. First of all, anybody is going to take full advantage of a Supermax contract offer from anybody. If you're going to guarantee me 150 to 200 million dollars, I'm taking it. Done. So that 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 goes without saying. You get the big supermax, that's generational wealth. You're going to be able to take care of your family and the next generation and possibly the generation after that. So you'd be foolish not to take the supermax offer that the Pelicans are going to offer Zion Williamson. So that that that's that. Whether or not Zion's motivation is just to get paid or whether or not he really loves New Orleans, I have no idea because he hasn't talked to us about it. He interacts with kids at camps and sometimes he talks to the media randomly. That's it. We have no idea what's going on in Zion's head. Do I feel like there's people around Zion that are telling Zion how to behave and how to act? Yep. It feels like that. If, if, if It has felt that way from jump. That his handlers or his inner circle or whoever it may be is controlling how Zion behaves off the court, how he interacts with people, the fact that he goes up and stays in Oregon for four months away from his team. I don't think those are Zion decisions, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think they're the people around Zion's decisions because he's still a young kid and all – I mean, he's younger than Hannah. So uh, he's, he's right now, if he was in the NBA, he's still be in school. And he's kind of a big kid to begin with. Yeah. Like, it just feels like to me, a lot of these decisions that have been made with Zion and the Pelicans and the communication or the lack thereof between him and coaches, between him and players, between him and the front office, some of that has to be at the foot of the Pelicans as well. But it just feels like, People chirping in Zion's ear. Zion could love New Orleans. He could want to be here. But the people around him could say, we don't want to be here. That could very well could be what's going on. But if you're Pelicans, you don't have a choice. You got to give them the super, super max. 
You got to give them the Superman. You, you, you don't have a choice. You have to. You have to. And reports of him beefing with the general manager. I don't know what to believe because here's the other part of this that makes things hard with the Zion stuff. Do you trust anything that comes out of David Griffin's mouth? Let, let, let's let, let's be real for a minute. I don't. So it feels like people are talking for Zion and you can't trust anything that comes out of David Griffin's mouth. So how can we possibly know what's really going on? We don't. And look, next year, if he's healthy, they're going to be a playoff team. I think Willie Green's the type of coach that can reach Zion. But whether or not Zion's going to be a long-term guy, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know if his body's going to hold up for that. And I, I don't know if he has the dog inside of him to take over games. Which is why years ago, and this is something that Darren and I agree on, I would have, I, I said that I felt like John Morant was going to have the better career of the two between him and Zion Williamson. Because Jaw's a dog, and this is a guard league. It's not a big fella. It's not a stretch four league anymore. It's just not. It's all about guards. And Jaw's a dog. And you're seeing him ascend to being one of the best players in the league. Zion has all the potential, but we've only seen him less than a year. He's played, he's been in the league for three seasons, and we've seen him play literally only one season. Zion's potential may be better, but I'm going to take the chip on his shoulder guy that's a junkyard dog that plays point guard any day over the week over the post player who's had foot problems. That's me. That's me. But we'll see. But yeah, we are look, we're not going to know Darren until Zion sits down and has one of those one-on-one conversations with like Tom Ronaldi or Stephen A. Smith where he talks about his life and says this, this, and this, and this is what's going on, and this is how I feel about this. We're not going to know anything because Zion doesn't talk to us and Zion doesn't share. And David Griffin, you can't trust anything that comes out of that man's mouth. So there you go. We got to take a timeout. Good stuff. Good phone call by Darren, as always. My man needs to call more, though. Just saying. It's been a minute. Social media, he's on top of it. The phone calls, they're few and far between. But when he does call, he brings, he delivers. That's what, that's what D does. He delivers. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk a little golf. U.S. Opens this week. Guess who's in the field? One of the traitors, the betray, the people that are betraying the PGA Tour. Phil Mickelson. He's in the field. So are others. We'll talk about that in the yummy tension at the U.S. Open this week. That'll be coming up next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. P3 and company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. 
but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, if you have not joined the game clubhouse, you need to do so today. Make today, June the 14th, the day that you become a member of our clubhouse. You're going to earn rewards. Here's the deal. It's free to join. It's simple to join. Just go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Click on the clubhouse rewards. That's all you got to do. There's a tab for you to click to sign up. It'll take you literally two minutes. Once you become a member, here's the deal. You're going to earn 500 points by becoming just a member. And you'll have the opportunity, once you become a member, to enter to win great stuff. Astros tickets, concert tickets, food certificates, so much more. Like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Delicious, fresh Gulf seafood. You got some date night blues. Gas prices are making you feel blue. Can't take your lady out like you used to. We got you covered. $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. But you can only win that bad boy by becoming a member of our clubhouse today. So go sign up. It's free to do so. Visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com so you can become a member of our clubhouse and you can then score that $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House. Going to talk a little bit more Houston Astros baseball coming up with Eric Hossman of the Locked on Astros podcast. He's going to be making his RP3 and company debut. I love when that happens. Some new blood to the mix, so to speak. But right now, let's talk a little U.S. Open. It's this week, the third major of the season. If you woke up from a coma, you've been asleep for a couple years, you go, what do you mean third, Raymond? It's usually the second. No, they changed things around a couple years ago. Masters was first, then the PGA Championship, then the U.S. Open, and then the Open Championship. Actually, I had a debate with somebody. I had to correct someone the other day, and I hate doing that. Where they go, the British Open? I go, no, no, it's not the British Open. They go, well, yeah, that's how we call it. I says, we call it wrong. It's referred to as the Open Championship. You win the Claret Jug. It's the Open Championship. Just say Open Championship. That's all you got to do. Don't say British Open. Some of the folks over there in what they call Great Britain don't take too kindly to being referred to their championship as the British Open. They refer to it as the Open Championship. Just food for thought. Just sharing that with you. U.S. Open is this weekend in Massachusetts at Brookline. And the field is set. Now, the schism between Live LIV Tour, headed by Greg Norman, and a slew of former PGA stars, like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau. It's caused a bit of a schism in the world of golf. PGA Tour commissioner publicly releasing statements and then sitting down with Jim Nance live during the RBC Canadian Open on Sunday and coming off like a jilted 14-year-old girl. Not a great look, but it's fascinating, as we talked about yesterday with Scott Rabelais. Well, Obviously, the PGA Tour has decided to suspend, essentially ban, anyone that is taking part in the LIV Tour events. 
they you're no longer wanted. You're no longer allowed to be taking part in PGA Tour events. Okay. So these guys like Phil and DJ and Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed and others that are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars to play in LIV where they only have to play in eight tournaments a year. And even if they finish dead last in the tournament, if they decide to play like John Daly and just ride a cart and drink Diet Cokes and eat Skittles all day and finish last, they still win $120,000. That's where we're at. But here's the interesting part. The suspensions do not apply to the majors, not as of yet. The U.S. Open is ran by the USGA, which is a separate entity. So here we are. We look at the field for the U.S. Open. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some guys. Yeah, there's some. There's Sam Burns. That's great. Former LSU star. He's had a great year. Breakout year for his young golf career. And you're looking, you're going, hey, where's all these guys that have been banned? Oh, there's Bryson DeChambeau. He's in the field for the U.S. Open. There he is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me go through here. Oh, is that, a, is that a mistake? That may be a typo. Hold on. Oh, nope. There's Sergio Garcia. He's in the field. He's also part of LIV. He's been suspended and banned by the PGA Tour. Oh, there must be just those two guys, right? It can't be everyone else. They wouldn't allow that. The PGA Tour is so powerful, they would, they would squeeze the U.S. Open and tell them not to do that. How dare you? Oh, no. Oh, no. Hey, there's Dustin Johnson. He's part of the U.S. Open, too. See how that works? So all these big heavy hitters, all these guys that the commissioner talked about, that he's banned, all some of the guys on the PGA Tour that have thrown shade at the guys that left for the LIV and that the PGA Tour is the way to go and that there's nothing else better than the PGA Tour. Oh, hey, there's number one villain himself, Phil Mickelson, who dressed like, I don't know, like an extra from Wild Hogs at a press conference last week for the LIV event. I was like, dude, what are you doing? Lefties in the field. Uh-oh. So all the villains, all the guys that were banned. Hey, Kevin Na, who gave up his PGA Tour membership, he's in the field for the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how that's working. Patrick Reed, he's in the field too. You get my point? So all the hullabaloo, all the stuff saying, hey, you're banned, the PGA Tour is the best, and I've said it before. Put the politics aside. Put the Saudi Arabia stuff aside. Just look at this from financial and just winning perspective. I'm Phil Mickelson. I'm Dustin Johnson. I'm Patrick Reed. I'm Bryson DeChambeau. I'm Kevin Na. And the list goes on and on. I get paid essentially a signing bonus of $100 million to come take part in this tour. I only have to play in eight tournaments a year. Now, they'll look to expand next year to about a dozen. But a, let's just say a dozen tournaments a year, which means six months of the year I get to stay at home, 
I take place in 12 tournaments a year. I'm getting a guaranteed $100 million just to be part of the tour, not to mention what I can win with big purses. Charles Swartzel, who won the first event this past weekend in London, netted $4.5 million for winning the tournament. Even if I finish in last place, I get $120,000. And on top of all that, I can still go win major championships because the four major championships are the four most important golf tournaments of the year for the world of golf. Now, you could argue the Players' Championship is on the same level as the PGA Championship, even though it's not a major. It's heralded as the golf's fifth major. And I love watching the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass. And there's other tournaments that I like watching because I'm a fan of golf. I always watch the Memorial and some other big tournaments. But these guys get to eat their cake, have their cake and eat it too. And the nightmare scenario for the commissioner of the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour is any one of these guys that defected for the LIV for them to win the U.S. Open this weekend. That would be brutal for them. Absolutely brutal. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk Houston Astros with Eric Hossman of the Locked On Astros podcast. That's next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Major League Baseball is back, and it's time for a tradition like none other. Old school baseball guys arguing with the analytical crowd on why RBI should still be relevant. Show us that million dollar arm because I got a well, I got a good idea about that five cent head of yours. No, but seriously, what the heck is war? Yeah. What? Who comes up with this stuff? You're killing me, Smalls. Now, back to more baseball talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Houston Astros bullpen let one get away from them last night as they dropped the opener of a early week series in Arlington against the Texas Rangers. They'll look to get back on track tonight. 7.05 first pitch from Arlington in a ballpark that some describe as a Costco. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. You're home for Houston Astros baseball in Lafayette and Lake Charles. To talk more about the Astros and any concerns that may be going on with the team, what about Yuli? What about Alex? They continue to struggle at the dish. What about Jose Arquiti, who will be taking the bump tonight? To break it all down for us is the man behind the Locked on Astros podcast. Eric Heisman now joins us, making his RP3 and company debut. Eric, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm doing good. I just wish the Astros would learn how to get hits on more consistent bases. They're able to get on base, but they're 20th right now in terms of batting average. I know batting average is not the be-all, end-all nowadays, but uh, they're, they're batting 238. This is reminiscent of the 2005 Astros, where they just can't seem to get on uh, the hit when they need to, and the pitching is kind of carry them, but the pitching cannot carry them as uh, much as um, as often as they 
they want to because, as we saw yesterday, the bullpen, as good as Hector Neris has been, uh, the first 22 and one-third innings pitch, he only allowed, uh, what, uh, three runs or something. I had that. But um, then this last um, – the last five or four games, he's allowed six runs or something like that. It's just crazy how uh, the game of baseball can just change just like that. You can be so dominant, and then um, then it just changed like that. Let's start with the lineup. How surprised are you by the fact that Jeremy Pena has adjusted to playing in the show as a rookie? I'm not too surprised. They brought him up last year to get to experience the playoff atmosphere to see what it's like to kind of be around the guys. And they don't do this with everybody. So they, they saw something, some potential with him and they knew there's a potential of Carlos Correa going away. So they decided to do this and they knew he came from a good stock. Um, so they just decided to do this. And, but he, he has experience. I know injuries kind of held him back last year, limited his uh, at-bats in the minor leagues. But uh, I'm surprised with how many home runs he's hit this year. But I'm not surprised with how good he's been hitting. And uh, his defense, I know that he gets a little bit excited sometimes. And But uh, he's not Carlos Cray over there. Nobody expects him to be Carlos Cray. But he's doing his best Jeremy Pena impression. And he's been looking pretty good. Can he still win the rookie of the year? Yes. Uh, is he going to, um, are there some uh, competitors out there? Yeah. Julio Rodriguez is kind of uh, making a late push, but I think Jeremy Pena, if he continues doing what he's doing, he can help the Astros get to the playoffs and um, be here for a while for Houston Astros. Your Alvarez is healthy and he is an absolute monster uh, right now, I know it's early, Eric, but he has to be in the debate for MVP with Aaron Judge of the Yankees. Uh, Alvarez has become the team's best hitter. We knew he had that potential, but just talk about just how monster of a season is he having. Well, he was already having a good season, but he said Monday, he's after signing the extension, He's playing a lot more loose, like a, a weight was taken off his shoulders. He's just able to play game of baseball. He doesn't have to worry about the future. He knows that he's going to be here for the next six years. So he's just able to play the game of baseball. And that's what uh, that's what uh, George Springer wasn't able to do. He was just always worried about um, where he's going to play. Uh, Carlos Correa at the same time. And uh, this is what maybe Kyle Tucker is going through as well. But Alvarez is batting 315. He's got, what, 42 RBIs. And he's just – I still think he can get better. I still think that he's going to compete. Aaron Judge is having a good season. Otherwise, I would say that he probably would be the favorite for MVP. Uh, but, yeah, this guy has been a steal from the Dodgers. The Dodgers have to be kicking themselves and saying, we traded this guy for Josh Fields. Really? Josh Fields? <laughs> yeah, and Astro fans won't let them forget that, that's for sure. We're talking with Eric Heisman of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. 
All right, let's talk about a couple of guys that are struggling, and that's Alex Bregman and Yuli Gurriel. We'll start with Yuli. He's had a couple moments. He had a good weekend a few weeks back, but he has been struggling at the plate well below 230, and this is a guy that won the AL batting crown a year ago. What's wrong with Yuli? He just I I'm not really sure what's wrong with him. He I mean he's still he's still able to get to the ball. He still has the same swing. It just he's just not able to do what he did last year. And uh, we talked about this on the podcast yesterday. It's it may be just mental something that's just not clicking. Maybe it's his age uh, catching up to him. But this guy is too good of a hitter to be doing struggling like he is and. I don't think that in his professional and his little, I don't know if they have little league in, I'm sure they do in Cuba, but I don't think in ever in his career he has struggled as bad as he's doing. So I don't know. He's probably never had to deal with this because he's always been the best of the best. And so he's, he just probably doesn't know what to do in a situation. And uh, and then you got a, a manager like Dusty Baker that always likes to stick with the veterans. So that's why he's still batting sixth in the lineup, and he's not going to drop him. Yes, he's had some good uh, bats, but he's still batting 217 with a 619 OPS. But at the same time, you're not going to just drop him down to ninth in the lineup, and you're not going to just bench him for three games. He's Yuli Gurriel. He's earned his position. But Bregman is somebody who's been uh, showing some uh, good swings recently. Well, let's let's talk about Bregs because this is a guy that finished as runner-up to the MVP a few years ago. Last year he was injured, and he's starting to have a, some good swings, but he has had a dreadful start to the season, still batting high in the lineup. What's wrong with Alex? We still get on base. He still has a good eye. He still uh, reach. I think he's on a 19 game on base streak. And yesterday he had some good swings. He um, uh, had a uh, he had two of the longest hits of the game at 395 feet with 101.3 exit velocity. The other one was 374 feet, 98.9 exit velocity. And in uh, the game before on Sunday, he was um, crushing the ball. After the game before that I went to on Saturday, where during batting practice, it looked like he was able to drive it, drive the ball at all. But he looked like on Sunday's game, something kind of clicked and where it just looked like he was able to start driving the ball. He barely missed that home run that went foul. And maybe something's starting to click with him, and we'll see him start to drive the ball a little bit more, but there's something off with, with both of them. And the thing with uh, Bregman is he's still young. He can still fix it. He's been dealing with injuries the past three seasons, it seems like. And yeah, I guess uh, I, there's something wrong with both of them. And uh, I think, and then you throw in Martin Maldonado, he's struggling. So this Astros lineup is just not the same dominant um, juggernaut that the Astros fans are used to, and it's it's frustrating. And, but the pitching has been so dominant this year. But Bregman, we just got to be patient with him and see what happens. But 
they're not going to send them down to AAA. I know there's a lot of people on Facebook that would say, yes, send them to AAA. That's not going to happen. But didn't they do that with Altuve? I know they said it was, you know, for a rehab assignment, but Jose started off struggling. He goes down to AAA. He finds a swing, finds his groove, and he's been good ever since he got back up. So why wouldn't you just send Bregman down for a breather just to let him get refocused? Um, I think they did that with Evan Gaddis too, right. um, maybe. But, um, yeah, maybe that may have been earlier in Altuve's career. I don't remember exactly when that was, but. Um, maybe, but how would Bregman take it? He's kind of a cocky individual. He's, he kind of plays with his, um, his emotion and I don't know how he would take that. And, uh, Yuli Gurriel is one of the leaders on the team. And I just think that that would be sending a wrong type of message uh, if you did that. So. We're talking with Eric Heisman of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, but let's talk about the pitching. Let's start off with Jose Arquiti. Had a great first start of the season against the Angels, and he struggled ever since. Now, he's had some games where he's been so-so, but the last time I saw him pitch, velocity on that fastball dipped below 90, which is a little concerning. What's going on with Jose and how much rope are they giving him, so to speak? Um, I think it just really depends on game-to-game basis with Erkiti and really any of the pitchers. Uh, if you're talking about um, Verlander, he's the one that they give the most leeway to, but with everybody else, it's like, how are you doing today? And so, like, last game, he only lasted four and one-thirds innings. Uh, he gave up four runs, seven hits, but the game before – he went six innings and game before four and two thirds innings and six and two thirds innings, five, three, six. So it's just like, there's two different versions of Burkitty out there. And it's frustrating because we've seen how brilliant this guy can be. He throws a lot of strikes and um, that could be a good thing, but it's, it's the quality of the strikes, like where the strikes in the strike zone are, how hittable are those strikes? And, uh, too often they're too hittable, and that's when he starts get, giving up the 12 hit games like he did against the Mariners and the Red Sox. And so it's um, it's frustrating because we've seen how he, dominant he can be in those playoff games. And uh, if you're looking at who could be possibly replaced in the rotation, it uh, once um, Odorizzi and possibly McCullers comes back or. If you're looking at maybe a Hunter Brown replacement, uh, who could replace him? I mean, maybe Arkady can be a uh, long reliever down the road because he's he's just been so inconsistent this season. What about the young man that is dominating Triple A? Uh, he obviously can pitch on that level. Uh, it's the number one pitcher in the Triple A level. He's in the Astros organization. When do you think we can expect to see him at all this season? I think that it's going to take um, him get mastering his um, control. He is still struggling with walks. And as we've seen with um, some of the Astros pitchers, walks is not a good thing. But I, I want to say September is probably when we're likely going to see him. But it's going to take um, a rash of injuries to the pitching staff. 
as James Cook said, the, the pitching is not the issue overall. It's the hitting. So I think it's um, could they bring him up as a reliever and then kind of develop him into maybe a long reliever and then develop him into a starter as needed, uh, give him a spot start here and there? Yes. I think that's what we could see. But as a starter this year, I don't think that uh, we'll see that. But uh, we've seen people like Roy Oswalt and uh, Shane Reynolds and just to name a few, um, uh, just kind of start in the bullpen, then the next year go into the rotation. So I think that's something we can see with Hunter Brown. But, yeah, this kid has electric stuff, and he, he's going to be dominating. But he's too good for AAA right now. He's 3-3 three and three with a 2.25 ERA. He has 73 strikeouts and 52 innings. And uh, the AAA manager says that he's just he's just playing like he is a um, he's an adult playing against. Uh, I think he's we'll say like the little league kids. That's just how good he is. The only problem is he does have 25 walks and 52 innings, and that's uh, they they would like him to cut back on that. But otherwise, it's kids ready for the big leagues. Eric, appreciate your time, brother. We got to hit a timeout. Briefly tell everyone how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get the Locked On Astros podcast. All right, you can find me at Eric Talk Stros. You can find the show at Locked On Astros. We are the only daily Astros podcast out there. You can find the show on YouTube and just go and uh, subscribe to us. And uh, thank you, and thanks for your time, and go Stros. That's Eric Heisman of the Locked On Astros podcast joining us here talking all things Astros appreciate his time we got to take a time out we'll wrap up hour number two update that poll question of the day that's all coming up next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros sports than the final score sign up right now for the game rewards club at 1037 thegamecom so you can score tickets gift certificates and more this is the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station poll question of the day College World Series is now set. All eight teams are in. We'll begin play on Friday with a pair of games and then two more games on Saturday. Half of the field of eight teams are from the SEC, in particular, the SEC West Division. We asked you, which SEC team has the best chance of winning the College World Series? Boy, man, votes are coming in hot and heavy on this right now leading the vote 39 percent is the Ole Miss Rebels once again they look like they were dead in the water midway through the season they turned it on late including a sweep of LSU in Baton Rouge and then they've won their regional and then won the Supers 31 percent of the vote goes to Texas A&M they've had the easiest pathway to Omaha they only needed five games won all three of their games of their regional swept Louisville in the Supers All those games took place in College Station. Can they still have that sort of success up in Omaha? 27% of you say Arkansas. Razorbacks, remember last year they were the one seed. They didn't make it to Omaha. They got upset. 
They were on the road as well for regionals and super regionals. They took out North Carolina and the Supers on Sunday. And they're in Omaha. And 3% of you say the Auburn Tigers. Brad on Twitter says, the Arkansas coaching staff has the most experience in Omaha and might have players that have actually played in the College World Series. So I'm going with the Hogs. That's not a bad choice. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two in the books, but not to worry. Hour number three up next. Jarrett Rozier, latest in recruiting, including Raging Cajuns and Tigers. That's next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived. It's going to be a good hour, borderline great hour, but I guess it all depends on on how our next guest leads us off here for the final hour. It could determine the entire show. It may determine the entire week. No pressure for him, though. He's Mr. Cool always. Let's get the latest updates in the world of recruiting here on RP3 and Company. Big news over the weekend involving the Raging Cajuns, plus updates on other top prospects and LSU as well. It's our friend Jarrett Rozier. Jarrett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Not too bad, Ray. Another Tuesday morning, sunny outside, chatting with you guys. Uh, pretty, pretty good start to it. Sunny outside, and then it's going to get sweltering, and you're going to want to die. Yeah, uh, yeah. Knock, <laughs> knock your uh, your travels out uh, in the morning or, or late afternoon. Don't be out there in the middle of the just, day. It's brutal. Just, just avoid avoid sunshine as much as possible today. Would be would be the best thing. All right, let's start off with the big news involving Coach Dez and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They got a three star prospect in the state of Louisiana to commit to them over the weekend. Tell us all about it. Yeah, Elijah Davis from Riverside Academy. I, I mean, I guess if if you're a running back in Louisiana named Elijah, you contractually have to end up in Lafayette <laughs> for college at this point. Um, but inter- interestingly, and I don't know the backstory on this, but Elijah's nickname is Bill. Um, and I haven't heard the story. I saw him when he was a – he might have still been a freshman <clears throat> the night I saw him, and he had some – Huge runs against West St. John, uh, including a late touchdown and two-point conversion to help those guys get the win, and then chatted with him. And then one of the coaches, like 10 minutes later, asked if I had a chance to talk to Bill, and I had no idea who the heck he was talking about. But I I knew the player that I'd just seen help win that game uh, with their senior leader out uh, with an injury was was certainly a a good player that we're going to be watching for the years to come. And you've seen Elijah – continue to develop these last couple of years he's i mean a solid built kid um doesn't have huge height i think he's about five nine maybe um but but solid build and good speed he this year has already run a a 10 8 600 meter i know he has a a 23 37 200 meter i think a little bit earlier in his high school career and so some of his peak track times are pretty impressive 
and you've you've seen that play out on the field obviously smaller school against some uh some smaller school competition but he he gets out there and really tries to seek out work on the the camp circuit and in seven on sevens where you get a chance to see him as a little bit of a, a pass catcher too and so a guy that i think is as much as we talk about caleb jackson and trey holly as the two lead running backs in louisiana in 2023 there's a huge mix of that next tier of guys and elijah is is right there in the thick of that i'm sure some people would would put him as the third running back in the state uh for this year has some other good offers including a, a vanderbilt that came in for him a couple months back and so uh, a nice win for des and company to, to keep him home and and keep that elijah train rolling through cajun country yeah and they they tend to have an enormous amount of success as well uh, including making it yeah. uh, to the uh, national football league all right, bud. I was about to say, ne- next stop NFL for Elijah Davis. I mean, it's that's pretty much done deal at this point. Yeah, you just go ahead and book it. Just go ahead and book it. All right, let's talk about something that you got to witness last week but were, not, were not unable to finish. Uh, LSU's annual 7-on-7 seven seven tournament uh, featured a ton of the state's uh, best prospects were in attendance, including Arch Manny, Ricky Collins, Jordan Matthews, and more. Uh, the rain shut it down, so did Lightning. But what were your biggest uh, takeaways from what you saw at the seven on seven? Yeah, for uh, for folks that are, you know, at work or in the car and can't see right now, and I don't know if it's coming through on the Zoom, but I'm peeling from being out in that sun throughout the middle of the day Friday watching all these guys battle. And the the premier draw that it was it was kind of amusing to watch the the spectator side of it was Arch Manning of Newman, the highly touted 2023 quarterback that everyone's been watching for uh, three years. That feels like about a decade at this point. He he was out there uh, playing a lot of his games in kind of the far back corner of the the LSU UREC complex. And from the very beginning of the day, they were playing a matchup with a Struma, uh, which was going on at the same time as a Carr versus Easton matchup. And so it, it was certainly not the the most high profile, sexy high school matchup. Uh, going on but overcome uh half of lsu staff kind of trickling in 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 different directions uh you know coach denbrock the offensive coordinator was was over in one quarter malik neighbors came by and said he had to get a a glimpse of this in person he'd heard so much about this kid he wanted to to see what he was working with and you saw that no matter who newman was playing throughout the day that was that was the the sideline happenings was you know, Joe Sloan and Brian Kelly were coming by on a golf cart at, at one point. Um, a, a good pack of LSU players, including Walker Howard and Garrett Nussmeyer, Fitzgerald West, Bo Borlawn and company were were all there for the LCA and Newman matchup in the afternoon, uh, a lot of which to see Arch. And I thought Arch had a, a pretty decent day. He had some some nice throws, uh, a couple of the, the better throws of the day by any uh, any quarterback, he he had some balls hit the ground, some some bad drops by his receivers, some that he was he was kind of rifling around a little bit there uh, that were going to be a little bit too hot to handle for most high school receivers, and had a couple plays where he stared down some guys and threw some bad interceptions. So it was it was kind of the up and down nature of a high school quarterback, uh, and and it was interesting to listen to what the takeaways from that were based on the always sky high expectations for arch some people expect him to go out there and be peyton or eli uh, every time out and and not realize that he's 16 or 17 years old um as, as we're watching him and 
And so there you get some some people that kind of fawn over him by the name. Some people get hypercritical because of the name. But I thought a, a nice day all in all for Arch and uh, a lot of the LSU staff seems to feel like as much as we talk about Texas and Alabama and Georgia, that LSU still can be kind of in it. Um, so Arch was the headline guy, but several great prospects on hand. Ricky Collins, Jordan Matthews, Caleb Jackson, Jawan Johnson, who we talked about last week with a fresh LSU offer. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a nice day out there in the sun until the range rolled in. They already missed out on uh, Eli Holstein, who first committed to A&M. Now he's committed to Bama. Arch Manning, they may be on the outside looking in. If they don't get Arch, they're, look, they're stacked right now in the quarterback room as it is. But <laughs> they, you always want to add more. Who's the next logical target for Brian Kelly and his staff since they missed out on Holstein and they may not get Arch? Who's it going to be for 2023? Yeah, and you're looking at really a handful of guys that have been kind of atop the charts for LSU for this 2023 quarterback class, and they do have a lot of depth at that position. We mentioned a couple of them there, the the youngsters in, in Nuss and Walker Howard that should be around for – years to come or have the eligibility to be around for years to come. Uh, but you want a quarterback, at least a quarterback in pretty much every recruiting class. And so they're, they're sifting through this 2023 group. They're in the thick of things for several five stars. Eli Holstein, obviously mentioned already committed to Alabama. That's not going to change. I'd be shocked if, if he doesn't end up in Tuscaloosa, uh, Arch Manning, as much as LSU s- says, they remain in there to some degree that they still have constant communication with Arch. He's always picking up the phone and, and always having great conversations with them and whatnot. Um, I don't expect Arch to end up in purple and gold by the end of this. And so the other two of, of kind of the top four have been Jaden Rashada, five-star in California, and Dante Moore, a five-star in Michigan. Jaden's scheduled to make his announcement on Saturday. I don't anticipate it's, it's LSU. He's got a slew of schools involved with him. Ole Miss and Texas A&M have come on strong of late. Oregon's been there uh, pretty close to home in, in Northern California uh, for him. And and they've been someone that I think has been pegged as sort of the favorite for a while. And then Dante Moore, and I mentioned earlier, the fifth guy, Ricky Collins has been kind of in a little bit of wait and see mode of how much were they going to ramp things up for him if they miss out on these other guys. Uh, and so he'll be one to watch, but, Dante Moore becomes really interesting of late. Uh, Notre Dame was the perceived favorite for him. He had a good relationship with Brian Kelly, but seemed like he was still more likely to end up in South Bend. But just a few days ago, uh, former Michigan coach Lloyd Carr's grandson, CJ Carr, a five-star 2024 quarterback from Michigan, right outside of Detroit, committed to the Fighting Irish. There's some talk he could end up uh, reclassifying to 2023, but either way, a five-star quarterback from right there in Michigan down the road from where Dante plays his high school ball in Detroit is now on the board for Notre Dame. And so Dante, who's had a chance to come visit LSU, suddenly has to kind of calibrate what does that mean for him? Does, does he want to go and and battle with, with C.J. Carr, a guy that he knows from, from the high school ranks uh, there locally in, in South Bend, or does LSU and that relationship with Brian Kelly and and Mike Denbrock and the growing relationship with Joe Sloan become that much more intriguing for him and I think Dante Dante looks more likely to me to potentially end up in Baton Rouge than he did maybe a week ago 
uh, but they've also sort of ramped up some things on Ricky Collins as they've watched some of these other dominoes fall. And, and so those are kind of the two names really to watch at the forefront for me at this point. It's a interesting thing with the Mannings. And we, you and I have never talked about this, that this is, you know, considered the first football family of Louisiana, right? Arch is not from here, but he settled here playing for the Saints, so, you know, a great player for the Saints, represents that franchise, represents the city of New Orleans. They hold their Manning Passing Academy here in the state. Yet, you're talking about three sons that didn't play at LSU and a grandson that's not going to play at LSU. Is that unique to you, Jared? Because it does seem a little, I don't know. They they, they were raised here. They were born, born and raised here. And LSU's right down the road yet doesn't look like you're going to have a Manning play there. It's, it's interesting, especially in, you know, in a place like Louisiana where you watch and I mean, you, you watch kind of the pipelines from around the state and you talk to prospects. Um, you know, I, I just talked to Jawan Johnson on Sunday night about the fact that if you grow up in L if you grow up in Louisiana and you're playing football, more than likely you grow up wanting to play for an LSU. And so you see most of those homegrown talents, if, if they are of a level capable of playing at LSU, that that they jump at that opportunity. Uh, not all. Some guys do want to get away. You, you don't usually see, you know, three or four top caliber guys in the, the same family. You don't usually see that level of talent in one family to begin with, but you don't usually see that many guys end up passing on, you know, on – the home state school and not even to go to the same school, obviously with, with Ole Miss and, and Tennessee. And, and now you're looking at, at Arch looking likely to end up being at a, a third school of that mix. Uh, and so it, it has created a lot of conversation and a lot of people who said from the beginning that there was no way a Manning would ever go to LSU, which I think was as most things are a little bit overblown. Arch is intrigued by the idea of, of being the guy that stays home and he has a lot of friends that are either on that roster already or are headed to that roster in this recruiting class. And so I think he's open to that. There's something about that he likes, but at the same time, there's probably an opportunity to go somewhere else and not be under that same level of spotlight that he's, he's been sweating under since he was in middle school. Uh, and that was something I thought about a lot on Friday as the amount of spectator um, eyes and, and fanfare and all those things, all these people have just kind of had to see this this local kid from New Orleans that everyone's talking about, and it it ends up being a lot for a kid to to handle, and he handles it all very well. But there's potential an opportunity to, to get away from that and go kind of blaze his own trail and, and just be another talented guy in in one of these other places instead of the Manning that we've all been watching for for four or five years. And so I'm interested to see how it all winds up. For sure, like I said, I don't anticipate him ending up in purple and gold. I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibilities, but I, I wouldn't bet on it unless I want some good payout odds on the back end and, and want to take that flyer. Um, but I think watching him wherever he goes is going to be a lot of fun from a football standpoint and, and hearing him as he makes that decision and, and what all went into that and, and hearing the Louisiana questions uh, will be interesting as well. Wrapping up our conversation with Jarrett Roger, he joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, but I know you got your latest ranking updates for Prep Red Zone. That comes out this week. A couple of additions, but there's a handful of guys from in the 337 
that are somewhat new, maybe even rising on your board. What can you tell us? Yes, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm trying to finish those up today or tomorrow, just kind of plugging in a few more guys, really more on kind of the, the back end, you know, from 150 to, to 300. But uh, there are a few 337 guys that are either new additions or a little bit on the rise. And honestly, several of them are little speedy Westgate guys. Um, you talk about Amaz Eugene, Dedrick Lachalet, uh, who had that great catch in the state championship game. Those were two guys that I had on my list kind of between 150 to 200 originally, but I've, I've got both of them rising heavily. I think uh, Dedrick's going to end up being in the top 100 or, or right about number 100. And Jaden Colbert, who was at Southside last year, I hadn't really watched a lot of, of him, but you've seen him blow up a little bit on the recruiting trail of late. And so finding the, the right spot for him uh, in these rankings at the moment, he's he's certainly going to make a, a nice debut somewhere also probably in that top hundred. And then for the, for the Lake Charles people wanted to mention uh, Tristan Goodley is, is a fantastic athlete out there. That is another guy was, he was in my top 120 uh, at number 118 last rankings update, but he's going to make a jump and be in that top hundred somewhere uh, probably uh, ballpark around number 80 right now uh, as some more guys kind of shift around him. But uh, I'm hoping that, the new update will be out by tomorrow. And so folks can check that out at Prep Red Zone, Louisiana. All right, bud, we'll get you out of here with one more. And it's the most important question that I've asked you so far today and possibly in a long time. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names loves the Louisiana versus all y'all shirts. She's getting married next year. She constantly is telling us about her wedding plans. And it's, it's engulfing and enthralling by all stretch of the imagination. But... What's the likelihood, bud, that you could possibly send five names, one of those Louisiana versus all y'all shirts, as a wedding gift? How can we make that happen? Yeah, I, I think we can do that. Um, I I didn't know if you were about to take this as far as we we're going to get the whole the whole wedding party involved. Maybe uh, have all the guys in in the black shirts with white logos and all the oh. ladies in the white shirts with black logos. Nice. Uh, yeah, we, we can figure something out. Nice. Can we make Louisiana versus all y'all tuxedo t-shirts? Can we make that a thing? Is that a possibility? That's ex- that's exactly what I'm thinking we may need to figure out. <laughs> Jared, appreciate your time, brother. <laughs> Try to stay cool, my friend, and uh, yeah, enjoy your sure. week, bud. You got it. Y'all have a great rest of the day, uh, great Father's Day this weekend and all those things. Take care. Thanks, bud. So Rozier's going to take care of five names, and he and I are going to collaborate on some Louisiana versus all y'all tuxedo t-shirts because you can be classy without having to spend a lot of money. That's what I'm talking about. Mm, Tuxedo t-shirt on the front, on the back, Louisiana versus all y'all. What? What? Let's get it. Let's go. Fashionista's up in the house. We got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day. We'll take your phone calls if you want to chime in. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. 
Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, poll question of the day. Me, oh, my crawfish pie. Before we get to that, though, I am formulating something in my brain, having an idea, a genesis of creativity inspired by a conversation with Jarrett Rozier of what we can do for Hannah Five Names' wedding. I'm thinking, wait for it, the wedding party, the men should wear tuxedo t-shirts, jorts, knee-high dress socks, and dress shoes. I think that's the look that needs to be rocked when five names takes on a six name next year. Let's make it happen. Put it out there. You don't have to decide right now, Hannah. Just marinate on that. Let it sit inside of your brain. Let it sit inside of your heart and your soul. And then we can go ahead and start making plans next week and when we can bring that together and get everyone suited up for that. Not even Kenneth would be okay with that. <laughs> okay. What about the tuxedo t-shirts? No. Okay. What about the jorts? No. Like jink like Jinko jorts from like the early two thousands. Can have a little bit of a vintage look to them. Let me think. No. <laughs> Am I now not allowed? Has my invitation now been rescinded for your wedding? No, so come to your house. It was only for one. It'll be for Tina. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be for two. It'll be for Tina and Hattie. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> and, be the and then I'll be left at home. They'll be yeah. like, we got to go to the store. When are you coming back? In about five hours. Yeah. I'll be like, all right, I'm taking a nap. All right. I'm just, look, I'm just trying to make your wonderful, beautiful day even better. You don't want to take my advice? It's fine. It's fine. You're missing out. I'm not trying to figure out how to wear not heels and wear like tennis shoes right now. You will be filled with regret. Filled with regret. Unlike the people that are voting on our poll question of the day. Which SEC team has the best chance of winning the College World Series? Once again, half of the field, eight teams, four of them hail from the Southeastern Conference, including all of them from the SEC West Division. Arkansas, Auburn, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Auburn and A&M are the only two that actually hosted regionals. A&M was able to host a regional and a super. Auburn hosted a regional but then had to go on the road to Corvallis where they defeated Oregon State, which is no easy task. Arkansas and Ole Miss had to be road warriors the entire postseason. We asked you which SEC team or rather, which SEC West team has the best chance of winning the College World Series. And right now, well, this is still super close as we get to the tail end of today's RP3 and company. Right now, 35% of you say Ole Miss. 33% say Arkansas. 29% say Texas A&M. And only 3% say 
Auburn slash War Eagle slash Plainsmen slash whatever they call themselves there in that part of Alabama. I love the votes. I love the fact that it's tough to decide. And I said this earlier. If I had to pick one of the SEC teams, I think I would go with Ole Miss. Just the way they're playing, the confidence that they're playing with. I just like what I've seen from the Rebels. And once again, they nearly fired their coach, or they were supposed to be firing their coach during the season. If I had to pick a team that is not, that is not from the SEC, I like Notre Dame. I know Stanford is the number two national seed. I understand that. Okay, and they have great tradition. But Notre Dame probably should have hosted a regional. They were the highest ranked number two seed. They go through Statesboro Regional, win that, and then they go up to Tennessee and knock out the braggadocious bums of the Tennessee Volunteers baseball team. And now they're in Omaha. Tell me a team that has more of a chip on their shoulder and feels more confident. It'd be hard-pressed to find one. I like Notre Dame's chances to make a run in the College World Series. Kyle on Facebook says, I don't care, but just stop talking about golf, please. Kyle, thank you for your comment. Appreciate you listening. Uh, We're going to talk golf. The U.S. Open is a major. We're going to be talking golf. And we're going to be talking about one of the biggest sports stories going on right now, not only in the country, but the world, which is the schism between the PGA Tour and the LIV, bud. So, sorry to let you know. Appreciate your comment. I even liked it. You're welcome. But the golf talk is not going away. Martin says on Facebook, can pretty much say more than half of the World Series teams as SEC since Texas and Oklahoma are joining the conference. Should be an interesting college World Series. It should be. It really should be. Yeah, I mean, if you add Texas and Oklahoma, who's going to be joining in the next couple of years or less than two years from right now? Yeah, that's going to be uh, now you're looking at six of the eight. <laughs> Good luck. The rest of the conferences moving forward when it comes to football, baseball, softball. Ugh. Good luck, because in softball, they're going to get Texas and Oklahoma, too. So those two teams just played for the national championship. So we got to take a timeout. When we return, not to worry, Kyle, we're going to talk NBA Finals, but when Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, joins us, going to talk NBA Finals. Can the Warriors close things out on Thursday? Can the Boston push it to Game 7? And what about the Pelicans? What is he hearing about their draft preparation? The draft is just around the corner. We'll talk all about that next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros Pierre the Pelican and the King Cake Baby consider him a close personal friend and we're the three best friends that anybody could have we're the three best friends that anyone could have or at least a facebook friend or myspace friend is myspace still a thing i wonder what tom is up to these days he's desperate he'd sleep with a meat grinder time for some more friendly pelicans talk on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station
The game is turning 10 years old, and we want you to be part of the celebration. That's right. We're throwing a party. It's going to be lit, as the kids say, right? Is that still a thing that the kids are saying? The young people? I'm not young. I'm not even close to being young. Lit is is on fleek still a thing? Yes. Fleek is still a thing. Fleek is still a thing? Yes. Okay, so I can still remain hip as ever. Is what you're telling me? Um, sure. <laughs> I'm still makes saying. I'm still saying that that makes me feel good. Thank you, because after my suggestion for having all your groomsmen in your wedding wear tuxedo t-shirts and jorts, you turned that idea down. I felt like I no longer knew what the young people wanted, but now you're telling me people still use fleek, so that makes me feel good. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Five names. Hey, back to our birthday bash. Tenth anniversary. We're turning ten. At Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday, June the 22nd. It's right around the corner. There's going to be delicious wings and amazing door prizes, including station swag, Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV donated by Avi, car washes from The Wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, and so much more. In addition... Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh is going to be broadcasting live from the party. So come join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday, June 22nd from 5 to 9 o'clock for the game's 10th birthday bash. It's going to be a heck of a good time. Possibly tuxedo t-shirts will be in attendance. Right now, though, it's time for us to put the fashionista talk to the side. It's going to talk about the NBA Finals. Is this series now done? Have the Warriors, after taking last night's game, a game they probably should have lost, are they in control now? Are they going to close it out? Can the Celtics push it to Game 7? And what about the Pels' draft process? To talk all about that is our last guest. Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights now joins us. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well. How about, how about yourself? How are you doing these days? You know, I'm doing fine, bud. Even though my soul was crushed by Hannah Five Names not accepting my recommendation to have the groomsmen wear tuxedo t-shirts at her wedding. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to get past it. I'm, I'm trying to get past it. Talking to you is going to help. I'm going to try. <laughs> have you ever worn a tuxedo t-shirt? No. Sorry. <laughs> Neither have I. So, <laughs> But I just wanted to see if somebody else would wear one. <laughs> All right, bud. Last night, Steph Curry... Not a single three-pointer. He had one of the worst final performances I've ever seen him have. They got no, really no production from two other starters. And Clay was just okay. Yet, Golden State still found a way to win by 10 points. Give me your takeaway. Yeah, I was floored because normally third quarters are owned by the Golden State Warriors. Well, Boston came out, right? They uh, overcame their halftime deficit. Grabbed the lead. I think they led by as many as five and then yeah. completely relinquished everything in that fourth quarter where usually Boston was the better team in fourth quarter. So I'm not sure what's going on anymore. But I will say that I agree with you in your opening and saying that it does feel like kind of Boston's done. I mean, just the amount of turnovers that they can't overcome uh, these big moments. You know, Jalen Brown on consecutive drives sticks out in my head where he just loses the ball. They just – they're just not playing efficiently enough to win to where they're just making mistakes, whether they're not making baskets, not making the right passes, turning it over. As for at least the Warriors, they're not turning it over. They're playing stout defensively. And they've got, you know, you're right. 
Steph Curry is not going to have another game like this for the rest of the series, even if it goes seven. But they don't even have to rely on him, as it just showed, because they had Andrew Wiggins step up. Nobody like that stepped up for Boston, it seems like, in forever. So I don't see it. I don't know how Boston's going to come back to win this series. They may take game six, right, because it's on their home floor. But going and coming back here to uh, the Oracle, or excuse me, Chase Center, still think it's the Oracle, and winning game seven, it just doesn't seem like that's likely. They, they, they look like they're done. Yeah, Tatum's never found gotten on track, and you know uh, that's their star. That's their superstar. He's never he's never gotten on track. He had his best game probably of the postseason last night, but still it wasn't elite, right? It wasn't taking over a game, and we've been waiting on that to kind of anoint him as one of the top ten players in the league, and we haven't seen it. And the other thing that stood out to me about last night's game, Ollie, was. Yes, you got a double-double for Andrew Wiggins, probably the best game of his career for Golden State, but they also got contributions from Payton and Poole off the bench, combined to get give them 20 points, while Boston, their entire bench combined for 10 points. Eight players combined for 10 points. I don't care how talented your starting five is. If your bench is only giving you 10 points through eight players, you're not going to win a game. No. And it's a direct, you know, opposite of what happened in game one, if I remember right. Horford, um, Derek White, and uh, I believe it was Marcus Smart. They all combined for like 60 points in that game one. Now, yeah. I know you're talking about the bench, but I'm just looking at role players. And Boston doesn't have anybody playing a good role, a consistent role for them. And it's uh, just direct opposite with the Golden State Warriors. I had a feeling that Gary Payton was going to come back and make an impact. And sure enough, he has on both ends of the court. And of course, Jordan Poole, him making that three-pointer to close out that third quarter, that bank shot last second, you know, you just felt like, well, okay, th this is really turning in. And of course, it, it shows again the Warriors, they don't have to rely on Steph anymore or Clay, who, and Clay hasn't looked like that dynasty before his two severe injuries, Clay Thompson, we got accustomed to, right? So, yeah, the, the, the depth has really swung in favor of the Golden State Warriors. And coming in this series, I think everybody, or a lot of people anyways, thought the Boston had the deeper team. That hasn't proven the case at all. Talking with Ali Cassell, he's the editor-in-chief of The Bird Rights. He's a man that refuses to wear tuxedo t-shirts. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let, let's move forward now because I expect Boston to play with energy. I expect Boston to play with a sense of urgency game six Thursday night but here's the flip side to that Ollie uh I don't expect to see Steph Curry struggle like we did last night I expect him to come back with a huge chip on his shoulder and to light it up that's going to essentially neutralize any advantage Boston's going to have playing back at home correct that's what I'm thinking and look Boston has everybody's talked about having the greater size right they really just have towered over the Warriors own the boards and such well i think they got whipped by the wars in the paint by about 13 14 points and it, that just goes to show you the lack of energy right so i'm with you they're going to come back punching um in game six but you gotta wonder if it's going to be enough even if tatum goes on for have 30 points what if steph finds that three-point stroke and you know he's going to be raring to go to prove that that game five was an anomaly what if he lights it up for 40 then what is boston going to turn to so, yeah, um, I don't know, Raymond. This, this series has been really unusual. At first, they were trading games. Now that the Warriors have won two in a row, you just feel like this one's definitely kind of on the overside. 
All right, so you expect Golden State to close it out Thursday night? Yeah, I, I do. I think that the Celtics will play hard, but then they're going to get punched, probably a Stephen Curry punch, and that's probably going to be all she wrote. If he gets any help, Steph, that is, yeah, I think the Warriors will go on to win. Is this the most impressive coaching job that's, uh, that Kerr's done? And, and I would argue that he got out coached a little bit in game one in this series where he decided to rest the starters and Boston took advantage of it. But for the most part, overall for the season, Clay still dealing with injuries, Steph not 100%, Draymond definitely on the downside of his career. He looks, I hate to say washed, but boy, he sure does look that way. And getting new guys to contribute, do you think this is one of the better coaching jobs that Kerr's done since he's led the Golden State Warriors? I think it is because he's stuck to his guns. I thought for sure that when the Warriors went down 2-1, they needed to try something else. And by that, I mean they should have looked to their youth like Kaminga, maybe Moody, get some young legs out there because, as I mentioned, the, the Celtics were owning them in the paint with their size. So I thought they maybe needed those fresher legs because you've just mentioned Draymond Green. He doesn't look like the Draymond we knew from just a few years ago. Clay's not fully healthy yet. So I thought that they had to turn somewhere. But, you know, Kerr stuck to his guns and stayed with the guys that got them there in relying on Peyton, Poole, guys like that. So, yeah, hats off to him. And, and he's been able to make, you know, th this team uh, play as well defensively as we've seen all season. And I think that's been the biggest key. They just need to get a couple scores for them. If they play defense like that, and make it tough on Boston to where they're either turning it over, just you know, having to go one-on-one -on -one with either Brown or Tatum. Well, that's been the key. So, yeah, Kerr deserves a lot of credit for this one. Absolutely. All right, bud, let's turn our attention with the NBA Finals coming to a close. Next up is the draft. What can you tell us about the latest in the draft process for David Griffin and the New Orleans Pelicans? Yeah, they're still in the midst of bringing in a whole slew of players ahead of the uh, June 23rd draft where they're working out you know, several guys on average a day. And this is standard. Every NBA team brings in about 50 or 60 so guys uh, to have a look at um, in all ranges, whether it's a lottery pick, but it's specifically beyond that, right? Because the Pelicans, they're, while they're going to have a full roster spot, they still got a couple of those two-way contracts, and we saw how valuable those end up being last year. So they're working out guys well beyond that are even expected to get drafted. And I think that's going to be interesting to watch. So while, yeah, we have no idea who they're going to choose at eight, I've got a pretty good idea on who they may look at. Um, I think Dyson Daniels is very high up on their list, if not him. I think Benedict Matherin really appeals to them, Jeremy Sochin, and uh, maybe even Shaden Sharp. He's supposedly going to uh, come in this week for a workout, and he could possibly fall to them, right? Kid that never played last year, everybody's wondering about what's he going to be able to bring um, outside of his shooting, outside of seeing just some high school footage. So interesting times indeed for the Pelicans. They're going to be adding somebody good, you've got to think, at eight uh, to this good core, right? That's already deep, already young, and this might be their last big swing at a draft, so I really think that they're going to take advantage of that. So you are of the belief that they are going to stay put where they're at and take a player that they believe can be a foundation piece at eight? I do. I think there's pretty much no chance they're going to move up. There may be a chance they'll drop back. Rumor is that OKC at 12 wants to move up to have two top 10 picks. And, you know, the Pels going from 8 to 12 isn't that bad, especially if the guy that they want is off the board at 8. And just like we saw last season, they're happy to move back some 
for maybe future draft capital, maybe a good player to add to this core by just moving down four spots. But I, like I said, I think there's a small chance of that happening. All right, Ollie, who do you think? Uh, let me, we'll wrap it up with this. Who do you think the Pelicans are going to draft coming up in less than a few weeks? And who do you think they will? Oh, I, I think that Dyson Daniels, like I said, I think he may have moved to number one, but he's he's moved up so far on a lot of people's radars and lists that I don't think he'll be available. I honestly think he'll go somewhere between five and seven. Um, but it's going to be interesting, right? What are the Kings going to do? Trailblazers. Kings want to get into the playoffs. Same thing with the Trailblazers if they're going to keep Dane. So adding a young guy like that, I don't know how he helps. So maybe he does slip back. But if not... I think the best chance the Pels have to draft somebody then will probably be Benedict Mathern. I think there's a really good chance he'll be available at eight, and he'll provide the shooting at the wing position that they really need help with, right? They need to elevate this team's three-point shooting without a doubt. Mathern could help a lot. Does Jackson Hayes get traded between now and draft night, or does he get traded on draft night? Good question. I think there is a trade in his future. Just don't know if it's going to happen quite yet. I'm not sure if he's got enough interest around the league to where some team's going to overwhelm the Pelicans with, you know, something really darn good in return. So I'm going to say probably not. I'm going to say that Jackson Hayes is going to be still on this roster when uh, training camp kicks off in September. What about Devontae Graham? There's a better chance of him possibly being moved on, uh, moved on from. Um, I'm not sure who's going to want to take him on. But, hey, somebody's going to need either a guard or wants to do a little salary dump, and he's not that expensive. He's only making about $11, $12 million a year. His last year, I think, just has a really small guarantee. So potentially the Pelicans could get off him, and they, they're going to look to possibly need to having to move him because they're going to need to create, I think, extra roster space because 14 of the guys are under contract. And the eight, if you draft somebody at eight, that's number 15. So if you want to add anybody else, any other help, you're going to have to find ways to remove some guys from this roster in this equation. And Devontae Graham's as good as any, I think, as from where you start at in doing so. Not to mention they're going to give the max extension to Zion, so his cap number is even going to be larger. Yeah, Correct? exactly. And you've got to think that I, I think the books are going to get filled up for the next couple of years because I fully expect for C.J. McCollum to get an extension this summer as well as uh, Larry Nance. Ollie, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Absolutely, Raymond. Take care, buddy. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day. We'll try to get George Faust on board for Tuxedo T-shirts. That's all going to be coming up next, right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in Southwest Louisiana.
Lafayette Marble and Granite, they are the South's largest cultural marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. And look, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms. They can also take your outdoor living spaces to another level and help your home become the envy of neighborhood during game days in the fall when you're cheering on UL or McNeese or LSU or the Saints. Go visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com today or simply stop by their showroom, right located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests, Eric Heisman from the Locked On Astros podcast, Jarrett Rozier from Tiger Detail and Prep Red Zone, and Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Our poll question of the day, final results. Which SEC team has the best chance of winning the College World Series? Four of them are in the field, all four from the SEC West. Winning the vote, Ole Miss with 37% of the vote. 32% went to Arkansas. 29% went to Texas A&M, so it was a bit of a dogfight. Only 2% for Auburn. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. College World Series will begin on Friday with two games and then two more on Saturday. That's going to do it for today's edition of RP3 and Company. We'll be back again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. George Faust, guest host extraordinaire for Footnotes, is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros.